You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. Good morning. My name is Josh Wilson, and I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn, and uh, that's the last time I likely get to say that. Um, this is my last sermon here at J-Town, um, so to say that this is not what I dreamt this moment would be like may be an understatement. When I stood here before you in October of last year to let you know that my family was going to be moving to St. Louis to go plant Storyline Church, I envisioned this moment would be real, filled with the room with you. The people that we've served with, the people that we've laughed with, we've cried with, and we've prayed with, the people that we love. Instead, I stand here talking to an empty room, and I'm looking into a camera lens. But at the same time, I'm filled with an overwhelming sense of gratitude. In seminary, a professor once told me that every pastor has a church where they grow up a church where they try things and they fail and they learn from them, a church where they cut their teeth on preaching and the church has to endure a lot, a season of really bad sermons, which you've definitely had to endure with me, a a church that sincerely loves them and becomes like a parent to them. And after you are, God calls you away, you look back on this church and you look look to them for guidance and direction. And you, J-Town, are that church for me and my family. I stand here filled with gratitude because of the years we got to spend here with you. So thank you, um, sincerely, from the bottom of our hearts. Um, Thank you. Thank you for being patient with us, enduring with us, and sincerely loving us. So with me being a babbling little baby up here, (laughs) and with this being my last uh, sermon, all I want to do this morning is I just want to leave you with three prayers. Um, Ashley just read our text this morning, which comes from Matthew 18, and so I just want to draw three prayers from Matthew 18. Um, These are prayers that I'll be praying for myself, for my family, for our new church, but also for you. So at the beginning of Matthew 18... Jesus is approached by his disciples with a question, and this question comes with a lot of context. So there's a lot that's happened in the previous two chapters, Matthew 16 and 17. So if you remember last week, we were in Matthew 16, and and Peter declares Jesus as the Messiah, makes this really big proclamation, and comes to this realization that Jesus really is the Son of God. And Jesus, in turn, speaks very lofty words over Peter in that the role he's going to play in the church. Then from Matthew 16, we move on to Matthew 17, where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and they go up on the mount, and they get to see Jesus transfigured. Jesus stands with Moses and Elijah, and Peter, James, and John get to be there physically present to see Jesus in all of his glory. And after this life-changing event, they come down from the mount, and that what we get the picture of is the rest of the disciples are around this family who have this demon-oppressed son 
and the disciples can't heal this, this child. And so Jesus steps in and heals the child of the demon oppression that he's experiencing. And the disciples come and they ask Jesus, well, who, why couldn't we heal this boy? And Jesus' response to them is, you lacked faith. So all of this has happened leading up to Matthew chapter 18. And so there's likely this debate that started amongst Jesus' disciples about who is the greatest. And they can't come to a consensus on this, and so they bring their question to Jesus. So Matthew tells us that in order to end the debate, the disciples bring this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And per the norm, Jesus gives a response that they least expect. Jesus calls a child to himself and stands this child in the midst of all of his disciples. And as the child is standing before them, he turns to his disciples and says this, Truly I tell you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. Now, before we go launching stones at the disciples for the question that they bring, we have to be honest with ourselves and come to the realization that this is a question that we all ask, and we ask it regularly. We constantly compare ourselves with other people. I mean, whether it be the salaries that other families make or how attractive another person is, the clothes, homes, cars that other people possess, the imagination and artistic ability that other people may possess, the jobs or positions of authority that they might hold that we don't, how smart or wise or even contemplative that a particular person might be. Every single one of us has a blank that we can fill with the way that we compare ourselves to others. And so we're constantly asking this question, who is the greatest? Where we're comparing ourselves and are bringing ourselves before one another and trying to figure out who is the superior person. You do this, I do this, we all do this. And what I want us to notice here in Jesus' response is that he does not ridicule the disciples for their question. It's almost as if Jesus is saying this, you have ambition and that's good. You're made in likeness of me. You have wants, you have desires, you have dreams just as I do. But what Jesus does, instead of scolding them, he redirects their ambition. He stands a child before them and says, you see this child, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you must be like this child. So it begs the question, what do we have to learn from a child in order to be great in the kingdom of heaven? The answer from Jesus is humility. See, there's three things. There's probably a long list of things that you could take from what Jesus is applying to this very illustration of bringing a child before the disciples here. But here's three that I think you can take from that. One, children do not assume positions of authority. The role of a child is not to walk into a room and bark off orders, but to listen and obey. They assume a lowly status. They live little lives. The second, they are absolutely dependent. They lean fully on their parents' provision for their own personal well-being. 
And then thirdly, they're not too proud to receive. There's no one that receives a birthday gift, a Christmas gift, or even just a random gift from their grandparent like a child does. They do it welcomely. So here's what I want to do. I just want to take these different ideas and I want to turn them into prayers for us. And I want these to be prayers that we pray for ourselves, that we pray for our churches, and we pray for our people. So here, here's the three prayers. Here's the first one. Father, form us as your children to be a people who listen and obey. Or in other words, do not assume positions of authority. In a sermon on this very passage, Martin Luther stressed the aspect of listening as essential as central to childlikeness. He says this, children let themselves be ruled and do not rule themselves. When it comes to the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is only one authority, and it's not you or me, it's Jesus himself. Now, I get that we don't like having someone that has an authority over us. If you want to get my blood boiling, you walk into my office or you walk into my home and you start barking orders. But listen, if there's anyone you want to rule your life, it is not you, it is Jesus. Because you see, Jesus is the God who put on flesh, willingly left his rightful place in heaven in order to come and lay his life down willingly for you and me. No one has given up more, has paid more in love than God has by sending his one and only son. And so I pray and we pray for the humility to submit ourselves to Jesus by listening and obeying to his authority over our life. Now, here's the good news when it comes to this. We do not have to live in this place of mysticism, all right? Now, I, I absolutely believe in the gift of the Holy Spirit and that we are to listen to his voice and his prompting in our life. But we also have been given the very written word of God. And in it, we find the instruction and the direction for how we're to live our lives. James 1.25 says this, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law, another way of saying the Bible or the scriptures or God's written word, the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. So consider the promises that are here in James 1.25, that if we follow the very word of God, we persevere in it, we're more than hearers, we're doers of his word, our lives will be blessed. And on top of that, we get the very thing that we want, which is freedom. You see, when it comes to real, genuine freedom, the only way that you can obtain it is by through submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to experience genuine, true freedom in your life, you must submit yourself first. Freedom from the comparing and positioning. Freedom from the preoccupations with status and so many other things, the blank that you could fill in your life. The only way you get to experience true freedom from them is through submission first, submission to Jesus as Lord. I mean, can you imagine a life where you are free from the idea that there are menial tasks? I mean, like a child, you can give yourself fully to the smallest of jobs 
and not have to worry about the idea of the status or it being this small, menial thing that other, that other people would see as below them, that you could step into these tasks because you're not worried about your status. You've been so freed that you can live. I want this freedom. I want this freedom for you. So I want us to pray that God would humble us to listen and obey. That we would be a people who submit ourselves to the authority of Jesus so that we may truly become free. Second prayer. Father, make us as your children boldly dependent upon you. Our oldest, Seth, loves celebrations. I mean, he absolutely loves them. Cherish has started this tradition in our family that any birthday that comes about in our family, she just decks out our dining room with different decorations. I mean, she has the big birthday sign. She has streamers. She gets a tablecloth with decorated, themed placemats with all these different things. I mean, it's the whole shebang. And Seth soaks all of it up. And so what has happened is he's become so enamored by it, and he loves thinking and dreaming and coming up with these elaborate plans for how we can celebrate birthdays in our homes. I mean, he, he loves to think on it and dream on it and think of different ways that we can celebrate the different family members in our family. But here's the thing, he's only seven. And so he can come up with all these big plans he can come up with these elaborate schemes, but what he lacks is the ability to pull them off. He's entirely dependent on Cherish and myself in order to pull off his elaborate plans. Here's the thing about our God. Our God is a big, big God who's both imaginative and ambitious. I mean, think about what he has done. He spoke into existence from nothing our entire universe that you and I live in. I mean, think about the intricacy of the human body. I mean, the science and everything that's behind it. I mean, our human bodies are so well thought through, and God thought these things up. He spoke them into existence, and you and I get to experience it. He's, in, he's the epitome. He's the climax of imagination, but he's also ambitious. As he created the world, he created this garden at the center of the world, and his desire was to see that garden spread across the entire world. And his plan to do that was through this created being, Adam, who he placed in the center of garden. And what he says about this man is that he was created in his image. So here's the thing, like, I want to live into this likeness that I have been created in, that you've been created in, and our image bearing of that very God. I want to embrace the imagination and ambition that God shared with us as he created us in his very image. Now, I'm not advocating that we're talking about this idea where we come up with these big ideas where we're poor, we have poor stewardship of the finances that God has given us, or we're creating these big, hairy, audacious goals, BHAGs, if you want to talk through all the Jim Collins leadership stuff, or even pursuing these things at an unhealthy pace. Now, what I want to do is I want to dream, I want to scheme, I want to imagine, I want to plan, and I want to strategize, but I want to do it 
as a dependent child that is relying on his dad in order to pull them off. And as a child of God, I want to be ambitious and imaginative about what God loves and follow his pace as I pursue them. At the end of this passage in Matthew 18, Jesus actually paints for us God as Father. And he shares with us just exactly what our heavenly dad really wants. So Matthew 18, 10 through 14 says this, See to it that you don't despise one of these little ones, because I tell you that in heaven their angels continually view the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If someone has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, won't he leave the 99 on the hillside and go search for the stray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over that sheep more than over the 99 that, I did, not, that did not go, go astray. In the same way, it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. See, God deeply loves people. And he's willing to go to great lengths in order to find those who have gone lost. So I want to dream of what could be. I, I want us to see lives and communities changed by the love and embrace of Christ. I want to send missionaries overseas. I want to plant churches. I want to see families restored. I want to see broken people healed. I want to see businesses started. I want to see artists unleashed. I want to see the unlovable embraced. And I want to scheme and I want to plan to put these dreams into motion. But more than that, I want to be dependent on a God who has the ability to pull them off. And I want to do all of this while I remember that even God himself rested on the seventh. See, I want to dream like a child, but be dependent on a big, big God and follow his pace. So I pray that God would form us to be a people who listen and obey, but also humble us as children to be boldly dependent on him as a God that can pull off our big plans. And then thirdly, Third prayer is this, Father, humble us as your children to be a people who are ready to receive. As an adult, whenever you, when someone gives you a gift, whether it be on birthday or Christmas, what happens? You immediately feel obligated to return a gift in, in likeness. See, as an adult, we make gift giving transactional. And that's why we often invite people to come celebrate our birthdays or at our birthday parties, but not to bring a gift. One commentator puts it like this, we as adults, because of misplaced pride, resist being given gifts so that we aren't indebted to anyone. But children are completely different. Children love to receive gifts. In fact, they are great at it, right? Like they tear through the wrapping paper, their faces light up with joy when they see the actual gift. And they enjoy the gift without the indebtment. When it comes to God and our relationship with him, we can live with this gift-giving indebtment. Our relationship with him becomes transactional. We feel like we have to live a certain way, keep enough commands, treat people a certain way, and then we will be good enough for a relationship with him. 
But what Jesus is inviting us to here in Matthew 18 is to embrace a childlikeness in a way that we receive openly. That we would be humble as kids who are welcomely receiving gifts. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus shared this with his disciples, Matthew 7, 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give, give good things to those who ask him? A couple of Christmases ago, uh, our, our Sutton was infatuated with cars. He loved Lightning McQueen. I mean, he could not go to a place without having a Lightning McQueen car in his hands. I mean, it was a staple within our family. And during this time, during this Christmas season on Disney, they just blasted this particular toy that he really wanted. It was this Mack truck race track. So it's on the screen. You can see it above you. So you could, it's this big, massive Mack truck that would fold out into this race track that you could put all of these Hot Wheel type cars characters on and it was a mechanical propelled uh, thing where it would just send them around the track continuously. And so every time that this commercial came up on the screen, Sutton would look at Cherish or myself and say, I want that. I mean, it was repetitive. I want that. I want that Mack truck racetrack. I mean, we heard it constantly in our home. And so Christmas comes around, Cherish and I, we splurge to get this gift for Sutton. And so it's the very last gift that we bring out from under the Christmas tree. It has Sutton's name on the gift. He sees that it has his name on the gift and he just starts mauling through the wrapping paper. He rips open the box and it's the gift that he wanted. So immediately he starts asking if he can start playing with this toy. So we get it out, we unfold it. And he starts playing with it. He has a great Christmas. But what unfolded over the next couple of days is that, man, it is all that he wanted to do. He was obsessed with this new gift. We constantly heard on repeat, Mommy, I want to play with my Mac truck racetrack. I mean, just over and over and over. But the thing that we didn't expect to go along with that was, will you play with me? We just constantly. Will you play with me? Will you play with me? Will you play with me? You see, what happened was we gave this big gift, but what Sutton really wanted to do is he wanted to play with it with the gift givers. See, there's no greater gift God can give than the gift of himself. And God gave this very gift in the sending of his one and only Son. And nothing brings greater joy than spending time with God's kids. And so whenever we come with the question, God, will you be with me? 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 In times of good and times of bad, our cry, God, will you be with me? We, we just be with me? Like, will you presently be with me? It's not received with ears that are annoyed or just can't believe that we're coming with the same question again. It's lovingly embraced. We don't have to clean up our lives. We don't have to come and we don't have to ask repeatedly with God having this just standoffness towards us, but rather God waiting on the edge of his seat to hear from his kids, will you play with me? God, will you be with me? 
You don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to treat people a certain way. You don't have to do certain things. There's not hoops or ladders that you have to jump through. We have to remember the very words of Jesus in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. It's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. God, will you be with me? May we pray that God would humble us as children, that we'd have this childlikeness that we're ready and willing to receive. So here's here's the application. We're going to close with this. Embrace the humility of a child. Be great in the kingdom of heaven. You may be watching this, and you may be thinking to yourself, I've never truly embraced this. I, I know that this is me. That, that is me, the person that feels like I have to clean up my life before I can come and approach God. Well, here's the good news. All he's asking is that you put your worst foot forward. Embrace the invitation to be humble like a child. Receive the goodness of Jesus For the very first time today, don't step away from this TV screen, the computer screen, wherever you're at without receiving the embrace of Jesus. If you are a Christian and you're watching this, embrace the humility of a child. Pray these three prayers. Put them on repeat. Father, form me as your child to be a person who listens and obeys. Make me a child that is boldly dependent upon you. And then humble me as a child to be a person who's ready to receive the very presence of God in my life. But here's what I do. I, I just want to close. I just want to close by praying. I just want to pray these three prayers. So if you would, pray them with me. And pray that they would come true in our life. Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.